So welcome to Good News from the Middle East and uh, Tom and Joanne Doyle here. And this is a privilege today, Joanne, isn't it? It sure Why don't you is. introduce our guest? Uh, we have Lauren Green with us. I wish you could see her on the screen as we are beautiful inside and out. And Lauren oh. has loved Jesus for how long? How long have you been a follower of Christ, Lauren? Oh, I guess all of my life, but really intentionally, probably the last 30 or 40 years. I mean, you grow up Christian, you grow into a Christian household and you celebrate Christmas and Easter and all of those things. But I wasn't baptized till I was like um, in in graduate school because I didn't realize that Methodists didn't baptize children. (laughs) And I was like, mom, you mean I'm not baptized? No. We've got to do this. Oh my gosh. Well, you continue introducing. Oh my gosh. So Lauren, you're the chief religion correspondent for Fox News Channel. And how exciting is this? Fox is celebrating its 25th anniversary coming. That's right. Lauren has been with the channel since they started. But let's go back a little bit. She won Miss Minnesota pageant in 1984, was third runner-up to Miss America in 1985. Bachelor's in Music and Piano Performance from University of Minnesota, concert pianist. Wow. Uh, she's a graduate, she graduate school at is it Medill? Medill, yeah. Northwestern University. At Northwestern University, wow. released a classical piano uh, piano music album in 2004 called Classic Beauty. I, mm. I love that you play on Mike Huckabee's band, The Little Rockers yeah. on the mix. That's right. And um, her book, Lighthouse Faith, came out a few years ago, God as a Living Reality mm-hmm. in a World Immensed in Fog. And uh, the bio says that you use your own extensive study of theology, wealth of stories, and wide network of contacts to gather insights through personal conversations with some of the leading minds in the world on Christianity, including Tim Keller, John Piper, Alistair McGrath. Uh, Tom and Joanne Doyle. No, just kidding. <laughs> of course, Tom and Joanne. You know, even if your your names aren't mentioned in the book, you know, your influence is there. Oh God! That? My favorite thing about you, Lauren, is all these incredible things that God has accomplished in your life and through you. But the 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 core of who you are is that you love Jesus. Oh my God! And that's everything else you do, including what you do at Fox News. So that's our most beautiful aspect that we want to shine on today is your love of Christ. You know, one of the things that, um, uh, in fact, today, uh, I'm actually interviewing Max Lucado, Pastor Max Lucado, about his new book. It's about the book of Esther. And the book of Esther was one of my favorite books even before I realized. Um, There's another Tim Keller sermon called The Silent Sovereignty of God. And it's uh, based on the book of Esther. And Mm -hmm. Esther is one of those books where one of the only two books in the Bible where God is not mentioned at all. Yeah. And and then it's like, but he is working all through it. So this whole idea of divine providence and anyone can look at their own lives and realize all these little things that seemed innocuous, seemed like, why did that ever happen? All kind of God's plan and bringing you about to a certain place in his glory. And, but it's all, and, and this is the thing that I love about the theology. And it's like, you, God, God's plan is, is, is plan A. He never goes to plan B. It's always plan A. But yet we do have free choice. Now, how does that work out? Right. Only God who created this universe can make those two things come together perfectly. Mm. Mm, boy, that is so true. That is so true. And, you know, on our minds lately, because Joanna and I wrote the, the book, Women Who Risk, we think about women that have 
have broken through and done things. And I think here you are a believer in Christ following Jesus and you go to work for Fox News 25 years ago. And then all of a sudden you are the chief religion correspondent really bringing good news, some of the bad news with Christian persecution, all of that to a secular news station and navigating that must have been a challenge at times, hasn't it been? It's a challenge in that you and I know that if God, if God's word, if God's creation, if if the Bible is the grand narrative of this whole creation, then everything else is second. That's right. right? Everything else is secondary to getting that point. How do you how do you operate in a world that does not recognize God's Bible as the grand narrative? of how the world works. I mean, I've talked to scientists and philosophers and, you know, of course, theologians and coming to the realization that this is the way the world is, that God's Bible is, is telling the truth about who we are and who's right. So to try to get that across in a, in a secular kind of environment without preaching, really. I mean, it's really trying to present the information, right? Um, is a challenge, but also an incredible responsibility. And because I know what it means to be a sort of lukewarm Christian, to be a just breathing the air of Christianity kind of person, I understand how people can be influenced more by this secular culture than yeah. they can about the Bible. I mean, that was my whole life, you know? Why do you believe in, in Jesus? I don't know. No one had ever explained to me why Jesus is our Lord and Savior. What did he do, right? And no one ever explained to me that I cannot save myself, that I am a sinful person, that even my best efforts are really based on my pride. And that in itself is selfish, and that's simple. So I cannot save myself, although we keep trying. That's true. So trying to explain that in, in a world that's, you know, so um, pushing back against the gospel in yeah. any shape yeah. or form is very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, it's scary. Um, but also, like in the book of Esther, saying, you know, it, it, you were made for this moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For such a time as this. For, for sure. such a time as this. Wow. So then putting that all together, Lauren, um, what was it or who was it or when was it that you finally came to the realization, ah, I need Jesus. Not, I can't save myself. So had it, you were raised in a Christian home? Oh, well, yes. In fact, I tell the story in my book about my Aunt Retha, who really started planting that seed of, of real faith, mm-hmm. not the pretend faith and not the sort of... Um, ornament faith but a real faith and I tell the story in the book about how she used to play this book, this game with us called bunkum and how um, she would hide um, an everyday object like a comb or uh, you know a pen or something in plain sight and then you'd and, and then you'd have to go find it in the room and then when you found it you would just say bunkum and then sit down and then the other person would just kind of you know what I learned is that huh. God is hiding in plain sight is that the, 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 the thing, the commonest things are part of God's plan and he's hiding inside. So my, I don't think I ever had a revelatory moment. I think like a lot of people, it was just this slow 
mm-hmm. slow cook process, process like a, you know, a, you know, a clock oven. I mean, it's like a, like a slow cooker. It's this process by which something is motivating you and something is moving you. And I think I had a revelatory moment though when I was in Ethiopia, in Addis Ababa, in a hotel room, analyzing the Hallelujah Chorus, doing a harmonic analysis of the Hallelujah Chorus for a talk I was going to give, and then realizing that the whole harmonic process, the whole harmonic sense in music was very much structured like the Ten Commandments. Mm. That to me blew me away. And I realized what an awesome responsibility this was to, to see this now and understand it and realize that the whole structure of the world is structured like the Ten Commandments. Mm. Not a first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. All the other commandments are based on that one. You cannot break commandments two through 10 without first breaking number one. Mm -hmm. And you know that they're all comprehensive, they fit. But the idea is that every one of those commandments relates first to the first commandment and then second to everything else. Mm -hmm. First commandment is the beacon, is the light, hence Mm -hmm. lighthouse, faith. The idea of understanding. And this is not just true in music, it's true in architecture. Mm-hmm. There's something in architecture that means because of gravity, the Pythagorean you know, triangle has to be present in every building that made. So it's present in architecture, it's present in our blood. You know, this, you know it's present in, um, in how the world works. It's, it's, it's present in who we are. Who, who is the authority? What is the authority in your life? What is motivating you? If it's not God, it's something else. And our, because we're made in God's image, if we don't acknowledge and make God our authority through Jesus Christ, something else is taking that place. And when we do, then we're out of whack. Mm-hmm. Life isn't working because mm-hmm. we're not made for that. We're made to glorify God. Amen. Mm-hmm. So that moment is a slow process for me. And it's still a process. And you, because this, you're so influenced by the secular world. You're so influenced by this secular world and you don't even know it. And like, you know, one of the ministers said, you know, the sins that are really, really affecting us are the ones we don't see. They're really default mode reactions to the world. You know, um, I don't like, you know, when somebody does this or, you know, can't he drive faster or why why is that bike on the road? This sort of impatience. We don't see that as sin. We don't see any of those things as sin. So anyway, it's the process. We're all on this journey. And, um, you know, one of the very poignant things that um, I heard once, and I don't know if you've probably heard this, but um, there's a story about a five-year-old and parents were taking their dog to the, I mean, maybe you told me this, I don't know. <laughs> you might've told me this and I don't even know. Um, you remember the, the, did you tell me this? Um, I'm thinking you might've told me this about the dog. They had to put the dog to sleep um, because it was very ill. And the parents worried that, that they had to explain to their five-year-old about death mm-hmm. because of the death of their animal, very beloved animal. And the five-year-old in the five-year-old's way said to the adults around, says, I know why animals have to die so young because we're made to, to learn to love unconditionally and animals just learn it faster. Oh, wow. No, we didn't tell you that, but that's beautiful. And I just thought, wow, what an incredible insight 
into who we really should be to love unconditionally. Wow, that is that is beautiful. That is beautiful. Well, you know, watching you for years on Fox before we got to meet you, uh, everybody on our team back here in Texas wanted to know what's Lauren Green like, and we said <laughs> exactly like she is on exactly. TV. That is the real her. She has just got joy. She's got a great personality. Mm -hmm. She uh, just makes you feel at home. And so for years, you wanted to be married. You got to <laughs> tell that story. This is. I didn't even know all the details. You, this is just. Well, this is so weird. We're talking about God's providence. You know, this is, and I remember my Bible study, how one of my um, Bible study um, uh, mates had prayed for our weddings, had prayed for being married. And this was probably two or three, maybe even four years before I even met my husband. And, uh, but, you know, here I am, I made this religion correspondent for whatever reason and you know people would be reaching out to me you know just to get to know me to tell them tell me they're there you know people from Opus Day because you know the Dan Brown thing so they wanted to kind of say this is who we really are and the Catholic Church and and the, Orthodox, the Greek Orthodox Church also re reached out but anyway so um I remember the weekend I have to back this up because it's very important to understand the context, right? Okay. <laughs> weekend of William and Kate's wedding. Oh yeah. It was also the weekend of the conclave of the Catholic church in Rome. Mm -hmm. So as a religion correspondent, I went to Rome mm -hmm. to cover that. Right. And from a news point of view, you know, that that kind of double whammy of two international events on the same weekend is just, Gonna blow your mind. So you know, of course, I wanted to go to the wedding, but um, <laughs> I covered the the Pope. Um, but I noticed when I came back that they had this item in the New York Post saying, you know, New York is having its own royal wedding. The wedding, da, da, da. it's like, oh, wedding, wedding, wedding. And I noticed it was at the Greek Orthodox Church. And again, people who had reached out to me, and I had a relationship with the Greek Orthodox Church with um, one of the their head administrator, Father um, Alexander Kolutsos. We called Father Alex. So I called him up. I said, hey, are you doing this wedding at the Greek Orthodox Cathedral? And he said, yes, it's my goddaughter. Of course I'm doing that wedding. I said, well, can I get invited? He says, what do you want to go to the wedding for? I said, typical guy, because men don't understand how women are talking about this. And so he says, well, I'm having a dinner with the, uh, lunch with the Father Brian. I'll get him, you know, ask him. And sure enough, that afternoon, I think I got an invitation in the email. And I RSVP'd. I went even, even went online and got their their uh, the registry and sent a gift and um, and I just decided I needed to wear the right clothes and I knew I was going to wear this red dress and I sent it to the sent it to the cleaners and I knew the perfect red dress I was going to wear and <laughs> there was this ink stain because I had worn it worn it to the Country Music Awards or the Dove Awards and I was writing on my dress and so there was this ink stain in the middle of the dress well, I got to get this clean. So I send it to these really expensive cleaners in New York, which charge like $200 to clean. Oh down. We're talking, I was serious. I wanted to make yeah. sure I had a backup of a sort of green chiffon kind of flowery thing, but it was the, the, the lining was too tight. And so I had, to, I hadn't fixed it yet. So I couldn't wear that yet. So the wedding Saturday, I get the dress back on Thursday, on Friday, I believe. And they couldn't get the stain out. Oh, oh no. 
<laughs> you can't. You can't. Still there, yeah. Oh my gosh. They and couldn't get the two hundred dollars to clean a dress, and they couldn't get the ink stain out. That's wow. like, oh my gosh. So backup came on, and uh, I had to wear the green ocean dress, and I had to, I cut the, the lining out to make sure that it would flow. But the problem is when you cut the lining, everything you could see through here to eternity under that dress because it was like see-through. Find a slip, so, you know, the whole thing. And I got these, so I didn't pay attention to the, these strappy sandals that I'd gotten, which were really like four or five inches. And you know, I'm like five, 10, so. And I didn't, I didn't break them in. And at Greek weddings, you stand a lot. And my feet hurt so badly. Oh, stand up and stand up for a long time and then sit down, stand up. So every time we stood up, my attention was on my feet. And then unbeknownst to me, this guy over like five aisles and he said, oh my gosh, who's that? Who stands up? And I said, you know, cause you know, this is a, it was a very prominent wedding. A lot of, you know, petitions and, um, you know, celebrities and, you know, and I'm there with myself. So he sees me and at the end of the wedding, all I'm thinking about, I've got to find somebody with a car that can get into the reception because I can't walk. I couldn't walk 20 feet practically knowing I was never going to get to the corner to handle cab. It was just not going to happen. So I see a friend of mine that I had worked with. I wave her down and she waves at me across the whole cathedral. And he sees her realizing he knows her. So he makes a beeline over to her so that he can introduce me to, so she can introduce me to him. The first thing he said, and he doesn't even realize how that influenced me. The first thing he said was, I'm just walking slow so I can meet you. And to me, that just was, you see, women get it. But, 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 but men just like, what? (laughs) But what it showed was that in a place like New York, where men usually are very standoffish and they say, well, we'll meet you here, meet you there. He, the first line out of his mouth was, I'm going to make my heart vulnerable to you Mm. right now. Yes. And reject me, if you will, but that's where I am right now. Wow. And I think that really just changed my attitude towards him. And I have to say this, you know, I'm very, you know, because I'm a a lover of Jesus. And um, I thought he was a Jewish businessman. I'm not against Jewish people, but I just, I knew I wasn't going to marry somebody that didn't share that level of faith. And and um, so we'd gotten in the car. I was very nice to him. I got in the car and we're all going over to the Waldorf for the reception. And I happened to mention the music because I loved the music because it played with some Schubert. And, and he goes, well, it wasn't our music. And I knew what he meant by our music. It wasn't the Byzantine chanting of the Greek uh, Orthodox Church. Sure. And I'm like, oh, he's Greek Orthodox. He's, you know, and, I, and that changed kind of things. And I said, well, I can he can be on the list you know (laughs) (laughs) he's a possibility (laughs) oh my gosh so that was it and then we talked at the reception he had an rsvp for the dinner so he he felt like he wasn't going to sit at the dinner when he had an rsvp even though there were like 700 people there and he probably could have sat at a table you know but that was his line and um we talked for a while he explained that he knew someone who was a very incredible scholar on Byzantine chanting. And I recorded a couple of CDs. Um, and he explained all the Byzantine background and everything. And, you know, I'm just coming into being a, an, uh, 
few years into being a, a religious religion correspondent. And so I knew about the schism of 1054 and, you know, yeah. the, the reformation of, you know, I knew these things, but he lived it, wow. you know, to him, it was, it was a still present, you know, we're still calling a Constantinople kind of, um, mm. you know, kind of belief, you know, this is the schism and, you know, this true right. church and all that other stuff, the icon, all, yeah. you know, all that stuff. So, um, we said goodbye to the reception. And then um, a couple of days later, I got two CDs in the mail of Byzantine chanting, the nice really? letter from him. And that to me was just, I had to say thank you. And we ended up, that was it. I mean, that's kind of what started it. So. Wow. That is precious. Okay. And so now how long have you been married? Um, about six and a half years, actually. Six and a half years. And, uh, you know, we, we got married in the Greek Orthodox Church. By that time, I learned to stand a lot. <laughs> got, better shoes, got better shoes. Got better shoes. Uh, stand a lot. Although my, my family was a little bit shocked when they had to stand so much. But it's funny because uh, one of my um, uh, nephews, who is a uh, green bear, they, they almost had a competition between the two of them who could stand the longest. Oh. Just stand up there and just stand up on that stage. And I remember Tim Keller because I, uh, we, you know, he, a member of his church, he talked about when we were getting married. He goes, you know, when you get married in the Greek Orthodox Church, you know you're married. You know, there's just that's <laughs> right. Rounds. They don't even let you say vows because if you're standing on God's holy altar, this is serious business. You don't mm-hmm. say a thing. Don't desecrate this place right now. Yeah. Unless you're yeah. serious about yeah. joining till death you part. So it that's was. Right. That's beautiful. That, you know, that's refreshing in this day, being a pastor. I mean, you get asked to do theme weddings and all of that. And oh, it's no, this is a vow before God. This is not an Instagram moment. This is important. Oh, my gosh. It was so serious that um, the, the chanter that he'd gotten, the, the one who had the CDs, he'd gotten him to come to do the chant. Um, and uh, he wanted to do one of the Byzantine chants of a, a royal chant of the wedding. The priest argued with him not to do that because that wasn't part of the wedding um you know uh, program in the green yeah. right it wasn't part of it so they had a big argument that day about you know little you know if i try to have like oh let's have a little guitar playing oh no we're not <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's not a part of it that ain't happening wow. that's for not sure not happening but I love the depth of the yes, commitment. The focus yes. is on your vow before God. It's not just about um, the wedding ceremony. It's about a marriage. It's about yeah. this lifelong commitment. And that's how it should be. I mean, this is a covenant between, yes, you and your husband, but also between both of you and God. And sadly, so much of that is overlooked in today's marriages, yeah. which is why it's then I think so easy for people to, to get out of it. It was easy. Right. To get and that, it. It's easy and to you're get so out. right. I mean, what, what? How I mean, we're gotten married later in life, obviously, but neither one of us had been married before. Mm-hmm. Neither one of, and that was the, the confidence. It's such a feeling of like, you know, here we're standing here before God. We've never made this commitment to anyone else, and this is a real marriage. This is like, yeah. we're not getting out of this. You know, like my friend says, you know, the only way you're getting out of this is in a pine box. So, right. um, <laughs> till death do us part. Till That's death right. do us part. Amen. Wow. Wow, that is a beautiful love story, and. Whatever happened to that red dress? You ever get the stain out of it, by the way? Or no? no. And you know what I did? You know, I did I finally had the idea. I went and got a um, sort of a Swarovski crystal applique. Oh. Put it yeah. right on the dress as sort of a 
tape and I don't wear it to weddings like I, but I have worn to other places but right. at, you know at that moment you're thinking oh my gosh what can I do so, How's that going to happen? Oh, man. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, that, that is a beautiful story. Well, Lauren, you know, the first time I was on an interview with you, uh, it was in Dallas and I was here. We hadn't moved back here and I had to go down to a Fox studio downtown and I got lost. And I remember looking at the watch going, I am not going to make this. And finally, it all came together. They called me from the studio. No, you're closed. Come here. And I just missed the building. I was going in the wrong building ran in and someone met me at the door and said, run. And we ran and we sat down and there you were. And we had like 30 seconds and you said, just in time, Tom. <laughs> it's just like, it's like that just, network, that scene on network. <laughs> get it there, get the tape in. That's right. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So 25 years, you've shared a lot of stories. And by the way, whenever we have Fox on, and that's a lot, uh, we'll we'll see you come across the screen and immediately we want to zone in because we think, okay, Lauren's a good friend. She loves Jesus. She knows the score behind this story. Right, right. She Her worldview, she understands what's bigger than just Afghanistan crumbling. You know, she knows what's happening. What are some of the most memorable stories that you've covered? Can you think over your years? And I'm sure there's got to be a lot of them. You know, there are a lot and there are a lot of I've forgotten. Like my aunt used to say, I, I've, you know, the, I've, I've forgotten more than I've, I've, I've learned. More often lately. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are some stories that do stand out. One of course is you know, anytime you, I go to the Vatican to cover things, um, it's always an interesting place and uh, it's just an incredibly um, powerful place. I mean, I didn't grow up Catholic, but I, certainly have an understanding of you know the reverence for the catholic values and and the the catholic mystique really and the vatican certainly is that um the other story that always stands out to me when we went to um amsterdam where a man was building a replica of the of noah's ark and it was like uh, i think three-fifths the size and it wasn't like the noah's ark in in kentucky Mm -hmm. or is it it is Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky. Um, it, it was a little smaller, but he said to me something I'll never forget. I said, well, why are you building this ark in Amsterdam? Mm-hmm. And he said, look around. It's like the Garden of Eden around here. Oh. People have forgotten God because they live in such beauty. Oh. And he, this, it was meant to be a, an educational um, place for people to understand and learn about God. Um, he wasn't a deep theologian, but he was a believer, and he mm-hmm. he, he he believed enough to invest his yes. own money, I think yes. twenty million dollars, into building this replica of the ark. Wow. And that wow. said to me so much about places like Amsterdam, which is so secular, mm-hmm. but there were believers there and strong believers. And mm-hmm. you just but that's true of all of us all. If, if we've got beauty around us, if we've got a really great job, if we've got um, you know, we look great. Um, if we've got all the family around us, we think that's it. I don't need God. You know, God is not, you know, towing the line here. He's not doing what I want him to do. So I just don't need him anymore because I've got my intellect. I've got my talents. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to rely on those things. And so I don't need God. And that's one of the biggest mistakes we make in Western culture. Amen. And I, I, I just so appreciate that man, because he just knew that beauty was one of the things that God has given us 
to glorify him. That's right. We've <laughs> used it to glorify ourselves. Mm. Boy, Satan just gets in there so subtly, doesn't he? And gets Absolutely. our eyes off what's truly important. And it reminds me in a, in a different sense, and I think it's in the Proverbs where it says, "Don't, Lord, don't let me be so poor that I steal, but don't let me be so wealthy that I, I lose my desire, yeah. my need for you. So it's finding that perfect balance. Remember, we lived in Colorado for a long time. And when we had first moved there from El Paso, Texas, which is barren and flat yeah. and not very pretty, to beautiful mountains of Colorado. I remember yeah. we prayed, Lord, don't let us take this beauty for granted. Yeah. Because I think yeah. that's what can happen. We can just get so used to the beauty that we lose sight of the creator. Who yeah, gave that beauty. that's a beautiful way. How did he say that again? How did he say that in Amsterdam? We're used to the well, he just said people have forgotten God because there's so much beauty around them. They, wow. they think that the beauty can 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 fulfill all of their needs rather than understanding. It's like that God gave us that beauty. That's right. yeah. Never forget who gave you the beauty to look yeah. at. And all that beauty is there to glorify God. Like Elizabeth Elliot would say, you know, a clam glorifies God better than we do. You know, wow. just because just being a clam. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, and we have noticed that in mountain areas that are beautiful, in water areas by the ocean, the godliness it, it seems to be lowered. You you mm -hmm. see that there's less believers there in in some of these beautiful yeah. areas. I think it's Isaiah that calls out the islands. Oh, islands! You know that mm -hmm. you want to escape right. God's mm -hmm. judgment, and so today that's right. So today. Uh, and you and I and Joanne, we've had this conversation a lot of times about persecution, what's happening, global persecution to the church. Uh, tell us what you're concerned about today. I'm sure Afghanistan was heavy on your heart. What are some of the sure. stories that you're seeing? Afghanistan is really heavy, but also China in particular and Nigeria. But China, I think, because China is such a, an economic power in mm. the world and can wield a lot of injustices towards Christians. In fact, they fear Christians right now because they're growing, Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds in China. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the feeling of the Chinese government, the, the communist government is that they see that whenever Christianity or whenever Christianity comes in or when Christians kind of started to grow, they feel they fear it takes over the government, that it, their, their influence would be greater. And this is the same thing of the Roman Empire. I mean, the Roman Empire was fine with a plurality of, of religions, as long as you acknowledge that Caesar was Lord. Well, here comes Christians saying, um, no, uh, Jesus is Lord. Mm -hmm. And um, and that's it. <laughs> and yeah. and yeah. we will not bow down to Caesar as Lord. And so that's a threat to any government which has put themselves in the position of the authority in your life, of being God and um all that you need to worship. And this is the same thing in North Korea, where um, these world leaders um, fear Christianity because that's Satan at work, really. Because we know we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against the spiritual forces of evil. And so this is what the evil that is within inside these, these, these world leaders that want to be worshiped um, because they fear Christianity because Christianity says, no, God is higher than you. Um, and so they, fear anybody that doesn't bow down to the government or to them. And that's a problem. It's a problem in China. It's a problem in North Korea, a problem in Afghanistan. It is a problem in places like Turkey. Um, Christianity is a religion that does thrive in suffering, mm -hmm. but it's also a religion that has as its 
a mandate to spread the faith. Mm-hmm. You know, this is the Great Commission. Go and mm-hmm. spread the gospel throughout the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the Great Commission. And it's not something that's done to have power over people. It is something to be done because this is God's will because he made the world. This is how we become more of who we are when we bow down to him. You're going to be a slave to something. Something is getting you up in the morning. Something is propelling you. Mm-hmm. If it's not God, then, then, then you're going to be a slave to something that can never give you comfort, can never um, satisfy you. And you'll have to keep getting more and more and more and more of it in order to justify yourself. It's, a, it's this sort of self-salvation project. Mm-hmm. You know, thinking about, so you've been with Fox roughly five years and then 9-11 happens. Yeah. And look at what has happened now in Afghanistan. Any stories that you're hearing? I mean, we're in contact. Our ministry in Chartered is doing things there. But Well, you probably know more than I do because you've got your boots on the ground in places like Afghanistan and the Middle East. But you probably already know. And this is a thing that I was really blown away by. Uh, Minnie Belts of World Magazine. She, I did an interview with her. And she talked about um, the... Afghanistan Christians are converts from Islam, most of them, the the bulk of them. So they're not thinking to leave, you know, but they've got to survive. And what they did was amazing because they lobbied before the Taliban came back, they lobbied to have their um, identity cards say that they're put Christian on their identity mm. cards, not Islam, which is everybody, it's the, the, the fault more religion of a yeah. place like Afghanistan is Islam. So they identified themselves as Christians on their identity cards, on their national identity cards, which are now in the hands of the Taliban. So now they can easily be picked off mm-hmm. because they know where they are. This is the fear of Christians in Afghanistan. Um, But I fear, see, if you look at the persecution all over the world, it's tailored to wherever they are, Mm -hmm. right? Afghanistan, it's the Taliban, the Middle East, it's, you know, the Islamic Sharia laws about you can't convert, and and Nigeria, it's something else. In the Western cultures, it is perfectly tailored to the kind of life we live. It is law, legal assaults on it. It is the educational system um, telling, you know, young people that, you know, religion is, you know, you know, or, you know, stupid people or something like that. I mean, I'm just reading uh, uh, Bill Donahue's piece that she, he wrote about the attack on Christianity and religions in general in the public schools and universities, um, this indoctrination into sort of a secular worldview. This, these are very, very serious issues in the United States. If you believe that Christianity is the truth, not a truth, but the truth, and that this is the, as I say, I keep saying this grand narrative of our existence. This is a huge problem. Mm -hmm. If you have lived your life not going to church, not understanding, you know, why we say it's wrong to steal, um, why we say it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage, why we say all of these things, um, because it's all based on who we are Mm -hmm. and whose we are. Mm-hmm. You know, when I look at, just take the issue of abortion, um, very pained uh, when I was watching the Olympics to under- realize that one of the runners who had, I guess she was 
not allowed to be in the Olympics because of she had some, she'd failed a drug test or something. Anyway, she was taking medication, but then she asked for compassion because she'd had an abortion. And this is why, and I, I, and this is why she had, was on the medication, some other things. I'm like going, well, how much compassion did you show for your unborn child? Yeah. Um, and this sort of idea that you can excise a, 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 a child in your womb, like you take out a tumor, mm-hmm. like you take a mole off your side or something like that. We have no more respect for life. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. We should have compassion for somebody because they have an abortion. Because mm-hmm. of course I can't be a good athlete. Um, you know, if I, if I, if I have if I get pregnant, um, well, why is running a track meet more important than life? Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Amen. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, these are, I mean, That's I think true. this is, this is, I think one of the issues we're dealing with the young people that they've got this callous attitude about life on one hand. And then on this other hand, they, they have this strident view of, 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 of proper conduct of how they should be treated. These things, you know, don't, yeah. don't come together. They don't mesh. Yeah. You know, and then the idea that's like, and one of the things, you know, that we talk about, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter movement. And I said, well, why is it that um, there are more Black babies aborted in New York than are born mm-hmm. in Black Lives Matter? Lives, those lives matter too. Those unborn right. lives that, yeah, absolutely. So why is it, yeah, why do black lives matter? And yet you abort black babies on a much higher scale, much more frequency than the white babies or anybody else. Wow. Wow. These are, these are the problems you see in secular society. It's like, because you, once you decide that I decide for myself what's right and wrong, my feelings are my truth. Right. That becomes a quagmire yeah. of sin. Right. You know, David L- Martin Lloyd Jones wrote the book, you know, in the 50s, and he used to talk about the cult of self-expression. Mm-hmm. And he talked about this problem that, you know, people equal passion, people put passion equal to truth. And that is not the case. He says it's like fire makes a great servant, but a bad master. Mm-hmm. This is where we are today. Wow. My feelings are my truth. It's like, no, your feelings are your feelings, and they do point to something they're very important right they don't equal truth they need the absolute truth of christ and right. it's gotten so diluted as time goes on we're getting further and further away from that truth that downward spiral from the creation to where we are now is just evidence that jesus is ready to come back oh boy and aren't we ready for him to come back there's still so many you know, we say come back the second time but there's still so many that don't recognize that he's come the first time and so right. our, there's our so dad, much work to be done. I mean, I, yeah, exactly. I, I, I was talking to my, my niece and we were talking, she was, you know, she's working from home in Minnesota. And I, and I just said, you know, I, I can't help feeling like that. This pandemic is just a shot across the bow. Um, you know, right. it's just this, um, I mean, let's just go back to those 10 plagues. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And how they came about. And, you know, there was just so many, pandemics and um, epidemics that have run their course through us and how many people really paid attention to it as part of God's plan. It's like, you know, I'm, just, I'm here, you know, mm-hmm. does God want us to suffer and die? No, of course not. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want us to suffer and die. And that's, this is reason why, why Christ came 
you know, because, you know, he left those sins unpunished, unjudged. Mm -hmm. And now he's, he can judge them because he has paved the way for us to come close to him. Amen. 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 That is so true. Mm -hmm. Wow, Lauren, this has been rich. And thank you. As we get ready to close here, tell us about your mom. I'm going to pray for you. Oh, she is, um, you know, she, the pandemic was not easy on her, a lot of isolation. Um, the dementia kind of grew exponentially. So we had to um, have her uh, in assisted living and it was very difficult because she's lived in her house for uh, decades, probably six or seven decades. Um, and um, she's got some heart, um, congenital heart failure, not congenital, um, uh, it's a heart issue. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. she is now in hospice. Congestive heart failure is what they call it. She's now in uh, hospice care, which is a long-term hospice care, which they deem she probably has less than six months, but mm-hmm. said, you know, we never know. She's in a wonderful facility that's uh, from Lutheran Church in, in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she's, we're going to go see her pretty soon. And so we see her quite often, um, you know, every few weeks we go back and see her so yeah just pray that she is just find some joy um mm-hmm. you know as anybody who's been around somebody with dementia or alzheimer's you know they ask questions about yeah she, about you know spouses that have died and she goes is is is, is, is my husband dead my yeah. yeah, dad died um like 30 years ago mom and then of course the grief is real again yeah right oh. yeah. he goes through the grief it's like a record that skips back and goes all the way. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. Oh, both of our um, parents have gone through dementia, yeah. and so we understand how painful that is. And meeting them where they are, loving them where they are, and holding right. them to the hope in Christ that that is a temporary situation. And yeah, um, when they meet him face to face, they will know in full, see That's right. in full, and what a joy that will be. As hard as it is for us to say goodbye, but to know that they will be whole and complete in Jesus. And then one day, of course, we'll be reunited with them. And what a reunion that will be. And tell us your mom's name. Her name is Bessie. 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 B-E-S-S-I-E. And she's a petite woman. I know I'm five foot ten and a big person. But she's like petite. And it's so cute. She hated her name when she grew up because it was like Bessie the cow. It's like, I'm the cow. You're like, it's just you're the big person. She's you know, she's, she's just tiny. So oh, I'm you know. beautiful and 98 years old. 98. Is that right? Yeah. Well, let us close our time with praying for your sweet mom. Yeah. You Thanks pray so much. Would you? Yes. Oh, sweet Lord. We thank you for Bessie 98 years old, Lord Jesus, the things that she has seen in her life more than anything. We thank you that Bessie knows you, that she has got a strong relationship with you. And um, father, you know, the day that she will take her last breath here on earth and wake up in your arms. What a glorious day that will be for her to be reunited with her beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus, and her husband and any other family members are there. But for those that are left behind, Lauren and the rest of her family, it's a bittersweet day, a day of rejoicing that her mom is with you, but yet a day of grieving, knowing that they won't see her again on the side of heaven. So Lord, would you complete the good, great work that you have started in Bessie's life? Mm-hmm. May these last days and months and weeks and however long she has be filled with such joy. Jesus, would you meet her when she sleeps, as she dreams and 
fill her with your perfect shalom, um, mm-hmm. even with the anxiety that can come with dementia? Mm-hmm. Would you calm her as only you can do? Um, Spirit of God, would you well up within her and just overflowing your joy and your peace and your hope and, and the knowledge and the memory of who you are? And Father, I remember with my mom and with Tom's mom and dad, remembering that even though when they would forget things, even mm-hmm. if they forgot you, but you never forget, you hold Bessie securely right. in the palm of your hand, weaving your love in and throughout her being. So may this visit that they have coming up be so special. Maybe may there be moments of clarity and sweet conversation and um, the reading of scripture, recognizing where Betsy soon is going to be walking on right. the streets of gold. Jesus, thank you for the hope that you give. And thank you that you remember when we grieve, oh Lord, you grieve right there with us, just as you did with Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. And you knew you were going to resurrect him in moments, um, and yet you still grieved with him before you did that. So thank you that you walked this journey with Lauren and her family and with Bessie. Thank you for this time together, this sweet conversation we shared. Jesus, it's all because of you. We love you Mm -hmm. and we worship you. And we pray in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, guys. Thank oh. you so much for your prayers. Thank oh, you. I so appreciate it. You're welcome. Oh. Our honor and joy. Well, what a privilege to have you with us today, yes. Lauren. And Thank folks, you. catch her on Fox News. She's the chief religion correspondent. 25 years with Fox News since its birth. Isn't that Amazing. something? Wow. Just hard I'd like to, to say I started when I was 10. But there you go. That's, that's right. <laughs> And listen to the Thank title of the so book, much. if we don't need this now, Lighthouse Faith, God is a Living Reality in a World immersed, immersed in Fog. Ooh. What a title. Wow, what a title. And you are a dear friend. And we're you so are. thankful for Thank you. Thank you so much. Honored well, to when, have- You know, you're in the Middle East right now? We're home. We're home. We're in Dallas. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Yep. And we want to take you to the Middle East sometime. Yes. Israel. I still love to go. Saudi Arabia, somewhere. Let's go, okay? With you, I've got to be safe. I can't. <laughs> I've been so many times. It's like, I got to go with you guys. Oh, but we got to talk God. about that. We can do that. We can do that. Okay. Sounds that. good. Thanks so much. God bless Thanks you. Thanks so much. God you. bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.